You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 92 by Rudolf Steiner, the listener's notes of 16 lectures, entitled The Occult Truths of Myths and Legends. This is Lecture 5, given in Berlin on the 22nd of July, 1904, entitled Reincarnation. Today I should like to talk about something that is distantly connected with what we have spoken about before. Even though the Theosophical movement has already existed for 29 years, it is still the case that its basic teachings are often misunderstood. The teachings on reincarnation, for example, are often understood by those who, perhaps, have never heard anything more than the name or a few notions, as though we were teaching the transmigration of souls through all kinds of different bodies, including animal bodies. This becomes an accusation, as it were, against us. Reincarnation into animal bodies was taught in Egypt and in Greece, and we cannot ignore the fact that it can still be found in India as an external teaching. It is true and cannot be disputed that everywhere in esoteric teachings it is said that what we call the human soul has passed through stages of evolution which are supposed to have occurred in animal bodies. This seems to be particularly supported by the highly interesting fact that the origin of the vast majority of all folk tales, sagas, and fables can be traced back to India. If you look at the animal fables and other folk and fairy tales of very different European countries, you will of course find greater or lesser variations but you will see that the foundation of many European folk tales is to be found in the books of ancient India. This is no surprise for us, since the cultures that the fifth root race has in common have come to Europe via the Gobi Desert, Egypt, and Greece. It is also no surprise for us that the initiates of different nations presented their teachings in the form of fables. But we must be clear what meaning fables have that are set in the animal world. This shines a new light for you on the problem of reincarnation, which may not be generally known. Indian culture spread over the whole world, even if today it is felt to be something foreign. You can see this in the fact that Buddha was included early on among the Catholic saints under the name of Josephat. This happened many centuries ago. Due to John of Damascus, who described Buddha's life in his Legends of the Saints, Buddha's teachings were absorbed into Catholic Christianity. Only the external expression of Buddhism was rejected. This can show us what an enormous significance Indian culture has had for the whole fifth root race. There is a large collection of many hundreds of fables, the Jataka tales, in these fables, in the form in which they were spread in past centuries, throughout India, Buddha always plays a role. We are told that Buddha was incarnated as this or that animal, how he lived here or there as one animal or another, what his actions were in this animal world, and how he remembered it. Then there is usually a moral lesson 
about how one should act in a similar situation. The fable form was considered an exemplary educational tool for the sons of kings. These pedagogical methods were also used in Europe. You all know the tale that when we look at the moon we can see an animal shape there. At any rate, many people see an animal shape there. The most common one is the hare. How the hare came to be in the moon is told in various ways. This also has its origin in the Indian Jataka tales. The story goes that in one of his many previous lives, Buddha was once a hare. He lived in a forest with three friends. His first friend was a jackal, his second friend an ape, and his third friend an otter. So he lived with these three friends. And even as a hare, he was already a very advanced being, so he was able to educate the other animals in many various ways. He gave them teaching and taught, above all, that one should observe the holy feast days and make an offering on them. He said to them, quote, Above all, you must see that you save some of your food and give it to those who come to you begging, so that on holy feast days you can make your offering in a worthy manner. Close quote. Quote again, Now a feast day was approaching. One of the animals went into a neighboring region and saw people busy gathering fish for food. When the people had gone away, the animal thought to itself, Surely I can take some, but I will make sure, thought the animal, and said, Does this food belong to anyone? Since nobody answered, it took some of the food. The second animal did likewise, and so did the third. Now the foretold feast days arrived. The god Indra disguised himself as a Brahmin and went to visit the animals. Indra came to the first animal and asked, Can you give me some food for the offering? The animal related how it had found the food. Then Indra said, I will come back later and take some of the food. In the same way, he went to the second and the third animal. But the hare had only eaten some grass and said to itself, If someone comes to ask me for something, I can't give them grass. I will offer myself as food. Now when Indra came to him and asked him for something, the hare said, I have nothing I can give you but I offer you myself as food. Make a fire and you will be able to roast me and then dine on me. All I ask is that you see that no harm comes to any insects which might be on me. Indra saw from this how morally advanced the hare was and brought it about that the fire could not harm him, so that the hare remained completely unscathed. As the hare thus had the god Indra before him, he said, O wise god Indra, Remain here, and together we will proclaim the teachings. And the god Indra answered, Yes, we will proclaim them in such a way that it will be impossible to extinguish them during this whole cosmic age. And he took a pen and drew a hair in the moon that is visible now for the whole cosmic age. Close quote. Steiner again. So that is the fable of Buddha, who is transposed into the animal world as a hare, and who sacrificed himself completely. A fable of this nature would engrave itself deeply in the minds of those who heard it told in order to prepare them for a later incarnation. Souls became mature enough to then seek the truth themselves. This was the whole point of fables. Originally, fables were not told in the way they are told today, where we have no notion why the animal behaves as it does. Far, rather, the stories were told so that in the telling people experienced certain images in their minds 
which have an effect on the causal body and emerge in a following life as a sense for truth. Fables were not told to give people an aesthetic pleasure, but to prepare their souls so that when they were reborn, after many years, they could absorb the truth more easily. For such a fable to have this kind of meaning, for it to create the spiritual form, as it were, so that later pure truth could be absorbed, it had itself to contain pure truth. Otherwise the vibrations that enable people later to absorb the real truth would not be stimulated in their astral body and causal body. There is such an uncommonly profound meaning in precisely this fable, and it is composed with such poetic subtlety that we would have to wonder greatly at the ancient rishis if we did not know that they were men taught by devas. We should also have to wonder at it if we did not know that these fables are connected with the basic fact, namely the relationship of the human soul to all other beings of nature. Consider how the whole process of our earthly life has taken its course. We are now in the fourth round. This was preceded by the third, second, and first rounds. We human beings already existed in the first round, but not in the form of our existence today. We had a substantially different form. We came over as Pitris from a previous planet and began our earthly course in the first round. That's where we passed through the mineral kingdom. As Pitris, we were able to collaborate in the work on the mineral kingdom which was created at that time. The mineral kingdom looked very different than from how it does today. There were no crystal forms. All physical substances were in a mineral, elemental condition, including those from which human, animal, and plant bodies arose. In this first round, there were no living plants as yet, no animals, no human beings. With regard to their outer form, everything was alive there in soul, but not yet in form. The forms that were created in the first round, and which later became our skeletal system, were prepared by the pitris, as a mineral substructure. In a second round, the Pithras prepared their plant substructure. Everything that was later modeled into our digestive and respiratory systems did not have the form it has today, but was prepared as a substructure. Alongside this, the mineral kingdom continued to shape itself as a kind of independent being. An independent mineral kingdom emerged because not everything that takes shape in a round is suitable for absorption into the higher stage of the plants. It was separated off. Now, I ask you please to see this process in its full significance. At that time, human beings were shaping their vegetable substructure. If in the second round we had had all the substances that were formed during the first round, we should never have attained to a higher plant structure. During the second round, as human pitris, we did something that was eminently egotistical. We told ourselves, as it were, that we would take from the soup what could be useful to us and would leave behind what was no good for our further evolution. In the pitri culture, we threw out the mineral kingdom. We evolved higher at the expense of the mineral kingdom. Then, in the third round, we threw off the plant kingdom as a being in itself. That is when the plants first came into being. We sucked in everything we needed in order to form our systems in such a way that we could develop kama, 
readers aside, K-A-M-A, end of readers aside, and receive a blood circulation. In this way we raised ourselves into the animal kingdom and pushed down other beings into the plant kingdom. We won through to the animal kingdom in the third round. The animal kingdom of that time, however, cannot be compared with any form that exists today. We have evolved to human beings during the fourth round by extracting in very egotistical fashion what we could use out of the animal kingdom. We discarded the rest, and this discarded element became the present animal kingdom. Thus we evolved initially into mineral beings during the first round. We discarded the mineral kingdom during the second round, the plant kingdom during the third round, and the animal kingdom during the fourth. What are the minerals, plants, and animals? Minerals, plants, and animals are evolutionary elements of our own nature that were once bound up with us and were expelled. Everything we couldn't use we gave over to the earth to evolve independently. When we survey the animal kingdom, we find it to be the same as what was discarded by us. That was still one with us in the third round. Now the occultist says, What you see as the animal kingdom is not something separate from you. It is something that in the third round was still inside you and reigned in you. You have shaken it off during the course of the fourth round. The rage of the jackal, the cunning of the fox, are your comic elements. The fox has been created from the cunning that was in you. Your rage created the jackal. Thus the whole animal kingdom is your own Kama world. You yourself have shaped and created the animal world. What has become physical today in the animal kingdom were the processes in your own Kama body during the third round. Look at the animals and you see your own past. We have attained these stages by leaving others below us. Thus, even now, we purchase a higher stage of perfection by pushing others back. Every ascetic buys his own perfection by pushing another human being into an all-the-more-blind rage of the senses. This is an eternal necessity. All evolution advances ever forward and forward. The mineral kingdom, which was fashioned during the first round, evolved independently during the second and third round, and in the fourth round has taken on the forms we know today. It will no longer exist in the fifth round. It will scatter at the end of the fourth round, will fall away as the bark falls away from a withered tree. In the next round, the fifth round, the lowest kingdom will be the plant kingdom. In the subsequent round, the animal kingdom, and in the seventh kingdom, only man will still exist. As form, the mineral kingdom has reached the highest level of development. It doesn't matter what substance it has. Through the transformation of the scattered forms, it will receive another structure and constitute the archetype of a new cosmic system. By the end of the seventh round, the human kingdom will have dissolved. That is what happens when matter goes through its normal evolution. We have purchased every kingdom by casting off the previous one. In order for human beings to become what they are, they had to cast off from themselves the mineral plant and animal kingdoms. We are now a little way past the middle of a kalpa, a cosmic age. 
evolution in the second half will entail the reabsorption of what we previously cast off and elaborating it at a higher level. This has to happen with the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and the mineral kingdom. In the animal kingdom, we have as though spread out before us a great tableau of our passions. When we tell a fable, we can transpose into the animal kingdom an astral process taking place in ourselves. We can thus have a tale about actions in the animal kingdom, but we are telling about our own passions. And when we tell a story about the overcoming of a passion in an animal, we are telling a story about overcoming a passion in ourselves. For the occultist, it is clear that when he speaks about his own body, he is speaking about what he himself has formed, for we have shaped our bodies only during the fourth round. At present we are living in Kama and encounter the battle of Kama with Manas. When we look up to higher levels, we are preparing a higher ethical development. When our thoughts are associated with lower Kamic levels, we are inwardly akin to the animal level of the third round. The occultist says, the human world is Maya. My tale is far more truthful if I leave illusory human bodies aside and relate the action using characters from the animal world. Human beings have their physical body thanks to the total evolution of the macrocosm. But the comic human being has remained behind in the totality of evolution. If you do something that can no longer be made good, your body does not correspond with what you are. The macrocosm would demand that man stand at a higher level. What overcomes the body to the extent that it corresponds completely with the macrocosmic image is depicted in the hare who sacrifices his physical body in external fire and, on the other hand, evolves further. The end of Lecture 5